And you may be seated, except for kids up to the third grade. Kids up to the third grade can be dismissed to Children's Church. And those that are usually get dismissed are going to stay in here. And we're going to do some instruction, actually, in the area of communion. So it's a good Sunday for them to be in here. I'm going to ask you right off the bat to turn to two places in your Bible, please. I'd like you first to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And by now, your Bible might be falling right open to Ephesians. We're there uh, most Sundays. So Ephesians chapter 5. And once you find that, mark it, please. And then turn over to Jeremiah chapter 2. So Ephesians chapter 5. And then over to Jeremiah 2. I love hearing the pages rumbling. I don't mind you using the smartphone. You can do that as long as you put it on vibrate. I don't want to hear your, bone, your phones clicking or, or uh, beeping, but I do understand the convenience of that. But turn to those two places, and let's go ahead and stop and ask for God's blessing upon our time. Gracious Father, it is with seriousness of heart that we would approach this time. A seriousness because of the change that you've made in us how we understand that we can come to the word and be taught and be changed. A seriousness because of the price, the immense price that was paid so that we can look to you for teaching, so that we can look to you and pray to you. The price that was paid paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We ask God that you would bless our time. May we be closer to you for our time spent in your word today. Would you bless our communion time as well? I pray these things in your son Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to point us back to Jeremiah chapter two for the start. This is gonna be a familiar little story for several because of the very vivid word picture that comes through. I wanna read from three different verses in Jeremiah chapter two. I'm gonna read verse two and then skip down to five, and then verse 13. And this is all to point us to the Lord's table today, and of course we'll be in Ephesians chapter five, looking a little bit at just one specific thought. Look with me at verse number two of Jeremiah two. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness. This is God talking to his people. And then let's go ahead and skip down to verse number five where it says, thus says the Lord, what wrong, your fa- what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? And right off the bat, I'd like to ask the question, does that sound like you a little bit when you approach your relationship with God? There was a time, like verse 2 said, where the devotion of our youth was strong. We understood the love that God showed to us, the sacrifice that was made so that we could have eternal life and abundant life here in this present world. And yet sometimes there will come a point where an individual will leave that devotion that closeness that they would have with God. And he, he forms it in the phrase, of, in, in the way of a question there. What wrong did your fathers find in me 
that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. And I think that idea of worthlessness is something that might resonate with some. Because perhaps you would go and try to find satisfaction or joy in something besides God. And in the end, if you know Jesus Christ, it will prove to be vain. It will be worthless. Does that sound like some of us that would allow our lives to go after something that is actually a lie? And then that vivid picture comes in verse 13 where it talks about two evils that have been committed. Look at it with me. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So there are two things that are going on here. One, the individual that knows God chooses to really leave that place of dedication to him. And that's going to be very hurtful to a God who has paid an incredible price for you. And also, there's a second thing that goes on there. Not only do they leave God, but they choose to try to get satisfaction, or the picture here is water, from a cistern that won't even hold water. It's a broken cistern. Someone that goes to do their own thing. And this is what temptation oftentimes looks like in our lives. Temptation will come your way and it will look like it offers something that is going to meet your need. And so as we approach the Lord's table today, we're going to do some self-examination. And for some of you, during the time when we're passing the plate, you'll be thinking about your life. And there's a number of things that we do at times of communion. And one of them is a look within. We take a look at our lives And for some of you, there might be an area where you are really struggling. I'm not going to start to give a list of common areas because you know yourself better than I do, but I know someone who knows you better than you know yourself, and that is God. And so when we come to a time like this, you are laid out completely exposed anyway. He knows you. So it's a beautiful time for you just to get real with God. It's a good time for that. And if there is a temptation, something that you're struggling with, I would just give you this as an encouragement today. There is really one very good reason for you to go after God instead of that broken cistern that doesn't even hold water anyway. That one reason for you to walk away from that temptation when the temptation comes is because God is better. He is better. I know you might have um, a variety of people shouting out to you that there is something else that is better. But if it's, if it's, if it's a God, if it's a message that is anti-God, it's nothing but lies. The devil wants you to hear that and wants to make you ineffective in your walk with him. If you held your place in Ephesians chapter five, go ahead and turn back over there. And Paul takes a few moments to remind the believers in Ephesus what they are, and they are light. We're going to look at just this one idea, this one idea of the contrast between light and darkness. I'm going to read verses 7 through 14 because it references this idea a couple times, and we'll come back at a later time and go through it with more detail. But Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them, 
For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So the main figure, the picture that we get here is the picture of light. And Paul challenges his readers to walk as children of light. What does that mean? Sometimes in Christian circles, we use phrases that they sound good and we don't even mind repeating them. But to put some meat on that phrase, what does that mean? To walk as a child of light. Well, I hope this isn't too simple. I'll just give you, I'll give you one aspect of how I think of it. A simple description of walking in light means to live before the eyes of God, understanding that you can't hide anything from Him. Now, there can come some comfort from that. The fact that God knows you so well, the fact that you can't keep anything from Him, and for many, that will come as a conviction. We have this picture in our mind of the Old Testament character Jonah trying to run from God, and we kind of snicker at that because God could see him. God was in charge of the weather that would um, cause he and his shipmates a lot of problems in that story. I hope you don't struggle with this idea that you cannot hide anything from God. If you're struggling with a sin, then yeah, I understand why it's convicting, but that's a loving God for you. A loving God is one that does not allow you to continue in your sin. He will remind you of what you need to be. What you are is light. I love there in the beginning of verse seven, it does not say you are like light and you're, or you can be like darkness. It says you are light. You once were darkness. Christ had much to say about both light and darkness. Matthew five sixteen. let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, it's fairly easy to hide things from people in this world when they cannot see our hearts and our minds. Have you ever had this experience? Have you had the experience that you were talking with someone and just from their body language or maybe their tone of voice, you suspected they were hiding something from you? Have you had that before? And you couldn't quite put your finger on it, but you paused. Perhaps it caused you to ask more questions and inquire. Perhaps when you left that conversation, you struggled with your thoughts about that person, wondering if they had good motives. But you can't be 100% sure because you can't see their mind. You can't see their heart. And so we have an opportunity in this world to hide something, keep something behind our back maybe, keep something in a hidden place, but with God, we understand that we cannot hide anything from him. And so in Ephesians 5, Paul addresses two groups here. There are two groups in these few verses. The first group is this, those who are dark and are pretending to be light. And I want you to keep in mind that we're coming to the Lord's table here in just a moment. Those who are dark, 
those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they're pretending to be light. In the country that we live in, in the day that we live in, our churches are open to anybody who wants to come. And I think that's a good thing. But there can be a major danger when an individual can assimilate themselves into a church family and never had a genuine conversion. And for the most part, we don't go around preaching at each other, not too much anyway. You know, husbands and wives excluded from that, of course. When someone comes in, we take them in. And when we think of the idea of someone being here, it's got to be the case sometimes in a group this size. There are some that are actually dark, but they're pretending to be light. That's one warning that Paul gives here in Ephesians 5. And the other warning is this. There are those who are light, but they're acting like darkness. And they're not genuinely bothered about it. An individual who knows Jesus Christ, but they have allowed their life to get to a point where they're walking just like the world. And they're not bothered at all about that. And the, the challenge comes in verse 14 there. Did you see it? With both of these groups, they need to do the same thing. They need to wake up. Ephesians 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's an if-then clause we find there. And so let me go ahead and bridge this to communion because this sounds familiar to something that oftentimes we, we talk about at communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, which is the classic passage that we oftentimes read from when we come to the Lord's table, and today is no exception, we find something similar to this idea of wake up. Those of you who are not believers, but you're acting like a believer, wake up. It would be my prayer that if you're here today and you've never made God your God, that today would be the day. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Is there a better day than today if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ to come to him? I would suggest to you, no. You can remember this date. You can write it down. What a wonderful day for you to have the lights come on and begin to understand the true purpose that God has for you in your life. In 1 Corinthians 11, we find this uh, similar exhortation to wake up, but the words that we find in 1 Corinthians 11 are these two words, examine yourselves. We, we are to examine ourselves prior to coming to the Lord's table, and so that would be our challenge for every one of you. I'd like for you to take a moment at some point to look deep within and examine yourself. What kind of an examination am I talking about? Am I talking about if you got, you know, a good week's work in this past week? Or if you kept to some of your good life habits that you're trying to hold on to? Is that what I'm talking about? No, what we're talking about is a heart check. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to look within. You're already laid open before God. He sees everything. And I'd like for us to do a heart check. And as you check your heart, keep these two warnings in mind. Warning number one, do not take communion. Do not participate with this church family in this process if you're not a follower of Christ. You know, honestly, the practice of remembering Jesus' shed blood and broken body, it's just far too precious for you just to slip in and um, take part in it without thinking about it or flippantly as some kind of a ritual. 
So do not partake when the plate is passed with the bread and the cup is passed by. If you're not a Christian, just pass it on. Nobody's going to judge you for that. And then warning number two when we come to the Lord's table is be sure you're up to date with God in a couple different areas. Be sure you're up to date with God with any unsurrendered areas in your life. And I could, that, that's, that's getting into meddling, right? Any unsurrendered areas of your life. Do a heart check with that. And then also any sin that is going unconfessed. The idea is not perfection, okay? None of us could participate if that was the idea. The idea is what is at our motives and what is in our heart. Am I working constantly to be closer to God, which is going to mean keeping short accounts with God? And I understand that some of you, when I talk about this area of sin, there are some sins that it seems like they have a grip on a part of your life. Maybe you've got it hidden. Maybe only a few people know about it, but you can't seem to get victory over it. Understand the promise of God, and God's promise is that you can have victory over that. He does not leave us in this world and give us these promises just to mock us. God gives us these promises so that we can have victory. You can have victory over that sin that maybe you've struggled with for years. And I would also challenge you to examine yourself to see if there's any unsurrendered areas. What kind of areas are we talking about there? Well, perhaps you have an idol of money in your life. You go to church and you have a Christian lifestyle, but honestly, money stands as more important to you than God does. That's an easy one, easy one for people to fall into. Examine your priorities. What else might that look like? It might look like um, a, a wrong priority in the area of your family. Maybe some of you have allowed pride to sit in in such a way that it has fractured something in your family. And you're sitting there waiting for that other person to humble themselves and come to you. Can I suggest to you that the word of God tells us repeatedly that we are to humble ourselves, not only in the sight of the Lord, but with others. And that's gonna send a huge message. Does not mean perfection, but it does reflect what the psalmist wrote when he said, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Does that scare you? Does it scare you to come to this time and say, God, search me? Look in here and go around that corner there and go down there and God, look over here, go all the way out to my fingertips and to the bottom of my toes. God, search me within and see if there is any wicked way in me. Jesus wants us, when we observe communion, to ponder the fact that he is the bread of life. In 1 Corinthians 11, he challenged his followers when he said that his body would be broken for them. His body is broken for us. And let me read this passage for us as we come to the table today. John 19, 28 through 34 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar of sour wine stood there. And so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one soldier pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water.